Good evening, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Nice to see you. Hope your day went well. Welcome to those of you who are coming in. God bless you as you come. We are a few minutes early, and I'm delighted uh, this evening, maybe by five minutes. I will try to use it profitably. Anyone with us for the first time? First time guests. Okay, we have a brother. Am I missing anyone? First, all right. God bless you. Anyone upstairs? First time guests? Wherever you are, if you're in the shadows, thank you very much for coming. Our subject for this evening, the fall of the Twin Towers. The fall of the Twin Towers. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus, your Son, my Savior, and my brother. And I ask you, dear Lord, very simply, help me as I deliver this message tonight. There are hearts that need to be convinced. There are hearts on the very edge of making a critical decision to accept the truth. And then perhaps, Lord, there are one or two hearts as hard as flint. Whatever the case, Father, give me the right words to speak, I pray. I have come to lift you up, to lift up Christ, to lift up the truth, and not me. So help me, and bless the hearing of your sons and daughters, I pray, with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 19, reading from verse 1. John chapter 19, reading from verse 1. What are the first three Gospels usually called by Bible scholars? The Synoptic Gospels, yes. And John is not a part of the Synoptic Gospels because his Gospel is so different from the other three. Synoptic simply means seeing together. They're generally the same in what they say, but John is quite different, yet he speaks the same truth. So the Gospels have their personalities. John 19, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again unto them and said, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may see I find no fault in him. Amen indeed. Pilate found no fault in Christ. Verse 5. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. That's twice. In verse 4. And verse 6, verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, whence art thou, or where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? 
Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered in verse 11, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me to thee hath the greatest sin. Now let's examine that passage. Pilate is convinced that Jesus Christ is innocent. And so he tells the gathered Jews and scribes and Pharisees and chief priests and the elders, all the members of the church, the hierarchy. Behold, I bring him forth to you, verse 4 of John 19, that ye may know I find no fault in him. When Jesus came forth wearing this crown of thorns and a purple robe, Pilate said, Behold the man. The Bible says, When the chief priests, therefore an officers, saw him, saw whom? Jesus, they cried out saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Now, why did they want Jesus Christ crucified? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. When Pilate said to them in verse 6, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. In verse 7, the Bible says, The Jews answered him, We have a law. And by our law, he ought to die. Now you've got to pause and wonder about any law that condemns Christ to death. The sinless, spotless Christ. We have a law. And by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, was Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Yes. So what was Jesus dying for? The truth. Was he the Son of God? Yes. They said he made himself the Son of God and he ought to die. Here is Jesus Christ. He has declared himself to be the Son of God. In John chapter 5, in John chapter 10, we can read this. And on each occasion, they try to stone him. And so the Jews, not realizing what they were saying, perhaps, because sometimes truth comes out of the most unlikely sources. We have a law, and by our law, he ought to die. Why? Because he said the truth. I am the Son of God. That's one tower. One tower of truth. Now let's go to Pilate, verse 8. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Pilate is troubled now. He is confronted with letting Jesus go and displeasing the Jews. He does not want to displease the Jews, but he's convinced at the very foundation of his heart that this man, Jesus Christ, is innocent. So here is Pilate. He has a choice. He has two choices. He has to pick one or the other. Let go an innocent Christ or please the crowd and condemn an innocent man. But Pilate is still struggling and he says, Whence art thou? Verse 9. But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him in verse 10, Speakest thou not unto me? He's using threats. Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee? And that was true. At a certain level. And have power to release thee. That was true. At a certain level. But Jesus frequently did not say anything when people accused him and treated him badly. But on this occasion, Christ had to let Pilate know something. And what Jesus tells Pilate 
every child of God needs to take in and internalize. Jesus answered, verse 11 of John 19, Thou canst have no power at all against me. Listen to me. The world has no power at all against a child of God unless God allows it. If there's something that you want to build, you want to build a church for God. And the city of Redland says no. They can only say no if God allows them to say no. And Christians need to understand, and I'm digressing, that their lives are not controlled by what political party is in power. Your life is in the hand of God. So don't think your life will get better if the Democrats take the White House or get worse if the Republicans take it or vice versa. The Christian understands that Jesus Christ is in charge of my life even as I do my duty as a good citizen. It is God. And so Jesus says, look, Pilate, with all due respect to your political position, you really have no power over me except as my father permits you because the buck does not stop at your desk. It passes across your desk on the way to my father's desk. Here are the Jews. This man claimed to be the son of God. He must die. And that was true. One tower of truth. If Christ had not been the son of God, he could not save you or me. It is essential that we understand that Jesus, as the son of God, was equal with God. Here's Pilate. In verse 4, Behold, I bring him forth unto you, that ye may know I find no fault in him. That truth was that Christ was sinless. One truth, he's the son of God. Another truth, he was sinless, but both towers fell. Because of the weakness and the cowardice and the spinelessness of human beings. In John 14, verse 30, Jesus said, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath what? Nothing in me. Christ was referring to his sinlessness. There is nothing in me the devil can point to and say, that is mine. Let me digress again and tell you something. You know what an embassy is? An embassy. You know what an embassy is? The United States has embassies all over the world. An embassy, wherever it is located, is the sovereign soil of the country behind that embassy. When I travel, one of the things I do is go to the U.S. Embassy and register my presence in that country. In two weeks, I'll be in Kenya for a month, so I'll go to the embassy and let them know where I am. They want to know where their people are. When I walk into that embassy, I am on what soil? United States soil. If I walk into the Kenyan consulate in D.C. or New York, wherever it is, what soil am I on? Kenyan soil. When Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, he might have said, the devil does not have an embassy in my life. That is satanic soil because there is no sin in me. What I'm saying, sin in the life is the embassy of the devil and he has a right to be there. And we must learn to close down the devil's embassies in our lives. Close them down by getting sin out of the life because persistent sin, I don't mean just a mistake. 
A persistent sin represents the devil's embassy in what should be God's country exclusively, your heart and mind. And God recognizes the devil's right to be where sin is. That's how fair God is. Where there's sin, the devil has a right. That's why there'll be no more death, no more curse, no more devil in the new world, because there will be no more sin. And so Jesus was sinless. The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were he called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Hebrews 4.15 for we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are finished for me. Yet, without sin. When Pilate said, I find no fault in him, Pilate was right. Two twin towers of truth. The sinlessness of Christ and the divinity of Christ. And both fell. Because of the cowardice, I say, and the weakness and the spinelessness. Pilate was more concerned with how he would look than with doing what was right. That's one group of people. They see what is right. But their first concern is, what will my friend say? And that attitude puts Christ on the cross just the way those who said crucify him put him on the cross. The ultimate end is the death of Christ. That's Pilate. What will people say if I do what's right? Here come the Jews. This man's truth interferes with my life. I've got to get rid of him. What he preaches makes me uncomfortable. It calls for a change in my lifestyle. I've got to get rid of him because I must silence the truth. We've got two groups. One says, I don't like what he says. Silence him. The other one says, I realize what he's saying is true, but what will people think of me? And both put Christ on the cross. Now let's leave Pilate and focus on the Jews. Chief priests, the officers, the scribes, the elders. They represented the church. What am I saying? Who was opposing truth? The church. God's people. And this is no isolated incident in the life of Christ. As we continue with the fall of the Twin Towers, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 4. Acts 4. All those of you with Bibles, raise them, let me see. I mustn't forget to ask you that. Those of you Bibles, raise them, let me see, let me see. God bless you, thank you. Acts chapter 4, reading from verse 13. Acts chapter 4, reading from verse 13. The Bible says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man, and which was healed standing with them, of course, they could do nothing about it. Verse 15 of that passage. Verse 16 says, when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to this man? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. What did they say they can't do? They can't deny it. They cannot 
deny it, but despite the fact they can't deny it, here's what they do in verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people. What are they trying to do to truth? Silence it. Shut it up. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Here again is the church suppressing the truth. Then the question becomes, can the church be trusted to preach the truth? Then the follow-up question is, when you say the church, to whom are you referring? Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Let's see the church at work again. Acts chapter 7 from verse 54. Stephen has preached a tremendous sermon filled with the Holy Ghost. And as he concludes the sermon, he calls his listeners, ye stiff-necked and hardened ears, in verse 51. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. And he said, which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And he tells them that they received the law by the disposition of angels in verse 53 and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, it just was a culmination of the entire sermon. Verse 54, the Bible says, when they heard these things, this is the church, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And the Bible says, And they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears. When I was a little boy, and my friends were saying things I didn't want to hear, I would say, Nah, 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 and I'd close my ears. <laughs> Have you ever done that? <laughs> now here are these Jews, groaning, nah, 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 and they closed their ears. And ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city. Verse 58, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now here we have church again persecuting a man for speaking the truth and killed him for speaking the truth. Let me tell you this. The greatest enemy to the truth is not the world. The greatest enemy of truth is that organization called the church. Let me ask you this. What is the church? When a person decides to go to church, on what basis does a person pick a church? What leads a man or a woman to decide, I will put my membership in this church or that church or that church? Someone said truth. 
Some people choose churches because they're large. And a lot of people go. So there's a certain level of excitement. And so they go in droves and thousands. Because a crowd suggests something exciting is happening. Crowd, a crowd, they say, draws a crowd. If you walk and you saw a crowd of people looking up, you will look up. That's the way we are. So a crowd tends to draw a crowd. And so many people join churches because the church is large. And it gives people a certain amount of pride to say, I belong to a church with 10,000 members. There are so many of us. We have three services. And we have overflow rooms and all the rooms have short circuit television. And the services are broadcast. Pride. Do you go to that church? Yeah. 10,000 members. All people are wealthy and good looking. And politicians go to that church. And professional athletes go to that church. That's my church. Or other people pick a church. Maybe because of the name. I was driving through, I believe it was either Kampala, Uganda or Nairobi, Kenya. Last year or the year before, saw the name of a church. The name, I think, is Come and Get Your Miracle. That's the name of the church. Now, when you see a name like that, knowing the weakness humanity has for demonstrations of excitement, you want to join that church because all of us need a miracle. And the church invites you, come and get your miracle. I was driving through Detroit going to a preaching appointment. Two years ago, three maybe. Saw a church, the name. I had to keep my eye on the road. I couldn't believe the name of the church. Strictly biblically speaking church. <laughs> and I wanted so badly to attend one service to hear what they say. The name was, and I hope perhaps still is, strictly biblically speaking. And the service was on Sunday. <laughs> but it was strictly biblical. You can't join a church because of the name of the church. You cannot join a church because of its size. You cannot join a church because celebrities attend that particular church and you want to bask in their glory. What is the church? Because most people in the United States are religious, by word of mouth at least if not by actual lifestyle. And there are hundreds of churches in this country. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. See what the Bible has to say. As we continue the fall of the Twin Towers, the Tower of Truth, one is the divinity of Christ, the other is the spotless, sinless life of Christ, and both fell because of the weakness of Pilate and the blindness of the Jews. He has to die. He made himself the son of God, which he was. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He's sinless, but I'm concerned with what people say. And I hope that no one listening to me is a representative of either one of those two groups. Because they kill Christ. Well, we did too by our sins. But I have to believe we have confessed our sins. And so we stand seated in favor with God. 1 Timothy 3. 
verses 14, 15, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's eager to come and visit Timothy. But prior to visiting, he sends a letter. He says, these things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry, verse 15, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest, all English, that you may know how you ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is what? The church of the living God. And the final part of that verse is so critical. The pillar and ground of the truth. What is a pillar? What is a pillar? It holds something up. Holds up a building. But on what is the pillar resting? Foundation. The Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Which means that when looking for a church, your first question and only question possibly should be, what does this church teach? And when you discover what it teaches, then you take the scriptures and you compare the teaching of the church with what the Bible says. Because the church is the pillar and the ground of one thing, and that's truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. That's the church. But some people say, well, I don't like that church because the members are hypocrites. There is no church on the face of the earth that does not have a fair share of hypocrites. Some churches have more hypocrites than genuine people. Because Christ says, enter ye in at a straight gate. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. But he also said, wide is the gate and broad is the way. Which leadeth to what? Destruction and many there be which go in there. Now do the math. Let's do some statistics. What's the gap between few and many? Let's say there are 300 of us in this building. Round number, 300. How many would be few? 25, 30. And that's all of you. But the few will be saved. No one here wants to be lost. Then how many is the many? 275, 270? Statistics are things you, is something you apply generally. And the statement from Christ can be applied statistically. Few will be saved, most will be lost. How do I apply that to this gathering? But statistics deal with populations, not with persons. And so I take all of us and make us one person, and we are the exception to that rule. I have to believe all of us will have a place in God's kingdom. What do you say? Amen. And so you cannot turn away from a church because the members are hypocritical. What makes a church a church at the very foundation is the teaching of that church. It is the pillar and the ground. It holds up the truth from collapsing when that truth is collapsing all around the church in society. 
And the church stands on that truth and will not move. The Bible gives us some identifying marks about the church God expects to exist in the last days on this earth. Let's take a look. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Remember I said earlier, the church is the greatest enemy of the church. Jesus was betrayed by a Roman or a Jew. One of his disciples. The disciples betrayed him. Who said crucify him, the Romans or the Jews? The Jews. His people. John 1.10, he, he came into the world and the world was made by him. The world knew him not. Verse 11, he came unto his own, meaning, and his own received him not. Revelation 14, verse 12. After John the Revelator has recorded a terrible punishment to come on a certain group of people from verses 9 to 11. He says in verse 12, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation tells us about what will happen in the end time. We are living in the end time. It, of course, tells the history of the church from the time of John when he wrote until the very coming of Christ and beyond. And since there are two cries for worship in the book of Revelation, read Revelation 13, verse 8. Revelation 13, verse 4. A cry to worship, then there's a cry to worship in Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. Two cries. And an identifying mark is given of a group of people who will worship according to the truth. And the Bible says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let's go to Revelation 12. Revelation 12. You've never read this chapter, read it. Very serious. Even if you don't understand everything, just read it. Get it into your mind and then think. Verse 17. Here is the patience of the saints. And the dragon was rough with the woman, sorry, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which do what? Keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus Christ. Here again we have a repetition of the identifying mark of this people. They will keep the commandments of God. Now in this chapter 12, you read from verse 1, Revelation 12. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed of the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. There are two women in the book of Revelation. Two. One in chapter 12, one in chapter 17. The one in 12, surrounded, clothed with what? Light. Light. In Genesis 1.14, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. What was that? 
the lesser light to rule the night. What was that? He made the stars also. Now we have the three heavenly bodies, one of whose mission was to give light upon the earth. You go to Revelation 12, 1, and this woman has all three around her. The sun, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, upon her head, the crown of twelve stars. The three sources of light. I've told you before, I believe, all the light that the earth receives does not come from the earth. Didn't get it? My fault. Let me try again. Where's the sun? Where's the moon? Where's the moon? Where are the stars? Where does our light come from? From heaven. How much light does the earth itself produce? None. Now you view that spiritually. The light of this world is whom? Where did he come from? <laughs> he had to come down. This woman representing the pure church, she is clothed with the sun, that's light. The moon under her feet, that's light. The 12 stars around her head, that's light. Where does her clothing come from? Heaven. So who clothed her? God. Am I making this clear? Look at the woman in Revelation 17. Then we'll get back to 12. Verse 4. Revelation 17. John is taken by the angel into the wilderness and sees this woman. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with what? Gold, precious stone and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of a fornication. Now she is a decked with gold, precious stone, pearls, arrayed in purple, scarlet color. So she's also radiant. Are you with me? Yeah, she's shining. Where does her light come from? The earth. Where does the gold come from? Where do precious stones come from? Where do pearls come from? Where does purple cloth come from? Where does scarlet cloth come from? Where does her glory come from? So who dressed her? She dressed herself. She dressed herself. We've got self-righteousness. And we've got the righteousness of Christ in chapter 12. Not convinced you're following me at all. Let's go back to chapter 12. Time is running out. I hate to do a part one, part two, but we'll see. Chapter 12, verse 1. Clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, upon her head a crown of 12 stars. What body of light in the heavens is left out? None. <laughs> Thank you. None. Which means that she has all the what? All the light. Somebody say amen. <laughs> the woman has all the light. But because this is prophecy about the end time, she doesn't have all the light that ever shone to people from Genesis 
one or two, she has all the light for these last days. She has all the light of present truth. And present truth is not baptism by immersion. All people know that. Present truth is not repent of your sins. People know that. Present truth has to do with the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That's present truth. Present truth is unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Why is it present truth? Because it is the truth that prepares the world to receive Christ. And two groups of people receive Christ. Those who are ready and those who are not. The message, the light this woman has will ripen the world. There are two ripenings that will take place. People who are ripe in the truth and those who are ripe in error. What do I mean? When something is ripe, what do you do? You pick it. So the Bible says, as soon as the harvest is ripe, what does he do? He thrusts in the sickle. Christ is waiting for this group of people to proclaim this present truth. Because when this kind of truth is preached, two reactions are the result. Thank you, Lord, I didn't know. The other reaction is, stop talking to me. I don't want to hear it. You're upsetting my family tradition. I don't want to hear But the wheat have to be ripe. The tares, they're right too in their own way. Then Christ comes. I am saying this woman in Revelation 12, there are two women, but the devil only persecutes one. He does not persecute two. He persecutes one. Why? Let's go to Revelation 12. I think we're already there. Let's go from verse 7. Talking about the fall of the Twin Towers of Truth. The Bible says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Now when you see the whole world, you must also add, except a few. Come on, come on. You must add, why do I say that? Go quickly to 1 John 5. Don't lose Revelation 12. 1 John 5. Listen to John, the closest disciple to Christ. Time is flying. You have 1 John 5. Verse 19, what does John say? And we know that we are of God and the whole world. Life in wickedness. So what is John saying? The whole world lies in wickedness except a little group of us. Go to Revelation 13. Do you have it? Revelation 13, verse 8. What does verse 8 say? And what? Say it again. And all. Now it says all. How much is all? But spiritually you must say except. Let's finish the verse. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose name's what? 
are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain. In other words, all shall worship him except those whose names are in the book of life. So when we go back to Revelation 12 verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. Which deceiveth the whole world. Except. Except who? Except us. <laughs> us who love the truth. Listen to me. This war that began in heaven was transferred down here. Let's go to verse 13. Let's read verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath. For he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Great wrath against whom? Let's go to verse 13. And when the dragon saw he was cast where? Unto the earth he persecuted. Which woman? The woman that brought forth the man child, the woman in Revelation 12, 1. Not the woman in Revelation 17, verse 4. Because she is his. The Bible always has two of everything. Heaven and? Well, yes, but heaven and? You either go to heaven or? Hell, yes. You're lost or? You're a sheep or you're wheat or you're either with Christ or yes. The woman in 12 represents God's true church. Now, let's go to verse 17. He persecuted the woman. Verse 17. The Bible says, and the dragon. Now, who's the dragon? Let's go take a look. Let's go to verse 3. Well, we read verse 9. No need to read verse 3. And the great dragon was cast out, that old, called the... And the dragon is Satan, the highest level of interpretation. But when Satan works through earthly power, that power is also the dragon, as in spiritual Rome and pagan Rome. Now, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which do what? Keep the commandments of God. Now let's pause. We're having, there are three groups of people in that verse, the dragon is persecuting. What are the three? The woman, her seed, and the remnant of the seed. What's the remnant? The last bit that's left. And since Revelation takes a historical sweep from the days of John until the coming of Christ, that remnant refers to those in the tradition of the light of truth who are living on the earth in the last days. Now, how do you spot them? Read the verse in its entirety. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. What church do you know that promotes all ten of God's commandments more than any other on the face of the earth. The same day with the church. Now that's not talking out of the top of one's head. Seventh-day Adventists are known for lifting up God's law, not as an instrument of salvation, 
but as an expression of a changed life. Because if Jesus says, "Thou shalt," uh, the angel told Joseph, he shall save his people from their sins. When God saves you from something, he saves you to something. And if sin is a transgression of the law, then you're saved from disobedience to obedience of the heart. Because if out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, out of the heart. When you're a sinner, when you're obedient, obedience comes out of the heart. Everything has to come from the heart. As a sinner, sin comes from the heart. As a born-again person, obedience comes from the heart. What's coming out of your heart? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28, reading from verse 18, we all know the great gospel commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach most nations. What does that mean? The whole? Now, Christ said his church would go how far? The whole world. You're looking for a church to join? One of the signs is that church keeps the commandments of God. And it is the pillar because it is the pillar, the only pillar it seems in a, in a, in a world today that holds up the commandments of God. Most churches preach the law is done away with. Not the seventh day Adventist church. God's law remains the standard of righteousness. The only church. Now, Jesus said, go ye and teach all nations, whole world. Let me tell you something. Is your church in all the world? Or you just have three churches in Mississippi? Is your church in all the world? Jesus says his church will be in all the world. And here's what they'll do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things that I have suggested to you. Commanded. God's true church will teach people to observe what Christ has commanded. God's true church will not tell people that what Christ commanded has passed away. And he says, and lo, I am with you even unto the end. Meaning that you must do this to the very end of time. So to the very end of time, the true church will be holding up the commandments of God. Not saying the law has been done away with. There are two churches more than all others. That are all over the world. The Seventh-day Adventist church and the Catholic church. No other churches come close. To meet that standard Jesus laid down in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Now, I was born a Catholic, wanted to be a priest until I heard the truth of God's law and God's requirements that I live a certain life, the life that Jesus lived. And I accepted the truth. With all respect to Catholic believers, what I'm about to say is about the, the, the papal system, the Catholic church as an organization, not the ordinary member who goes to church every Sunday. Their hearts are sincere. I'm not referring to them. The Catholic church has a catechism. I have one. The latest edition, I believe, came out in 1994, up to date. In there, the Ten Commandments are, Commandment 1, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment 2, what do you think it is? 
Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What, happened to, what, what should it be? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Now, why is it not in the Catholic Catechism? Because the Catholic Church supports the worship of images. I was in somewhere in Michigan at a youth conference earlier this year. It was a Catholic facility, and I stood outside the church looking at all the statues. There's something called the Way of the Cross. I used to do it. You go from one statue and pray. This is where Jesus saw Veronica, where he fell, where he fell the second time, where someone... So, and I was watching these statues, and my boyhood days came back to me. This nice-looking lady walked into the church, knelt down in front of a statue, and prayed and prayed, then touched its feet and touched its hand, then went to another statue, and prayed, touched its feet, and I wanted to cry. I want to cry. So that commandment, which is in the Bible, is not in the catechism. Commandment number three in the Catholic catechism is what? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Commandment four is, honor thy father and thy mother. Now, the first four commandments in the Catholic catechism are, have no other gods, don't take my name in vain, remember the Sabbath, honor thy father and thy mother. That's the first half of the law. That's the law that expresses love to God. Are you following me? The two halves. One table, love for man, love for God. You see what is happening? In the first table that expresses love to God, who shows up in the Catholic version? Father and mother. Who's a Catholic father? The Pope. Who's a Catholic mother? Mary. And they are conveniently placed in the first table of the law which expresses love for God and the Bible makes it clear we must have more love for the for God through the first four than for our fellow man but we still must love our fellow man don't get me wrong because they're connected if you don't love your brother whom you can see how can you love God whom you have not seen but the subtle this deception is that by replacing God's law, changing it, and Jesus says, teach them to obey what I have commanded, Jesus did not command that version. So I can't love the Pope the way I love God. But that's what the placement needs me to believe. Look, in the first table, you have the father and mother. Spiritually, Pope and Mary... In Christ's version, that commandment is five. Everything in four has to do with God alone. There are no human beings in four unless you see Jesus as created as God and man. Different story. Listen to me. This church, of which I'm a member, is not perfect. But it can defend every Bible truth it preaches. Every Bible truth, and I speak in the presence of a holy God, this church can defend every Bible teaching. What you've heard night after night is what this church believes. It is reasonable, it appears so intelligent, it is spiritual, and is that what Jesus requires that the world hear in these last days? Don't be like Pilate. You see the truth, but you're concerned about what people say. Don't be like the Jews. You see the truth, you hate it, kill the guy who speaks it. Be like Saul when God knocked him off his horse on the road to Damascus. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Conversion. Accept the truth. Christ is coming back for a people in whose heart 
is his law. The very law he lived by. A people who, according to his instructions, will command people or instruct people to observe all things, says Jesus, whatsoever I. So Jesus is in the middle of the law. When someone says, keep the Sabbath, I'm simply doing what Jesus told me to do. Brothers, my sisters, my time is running out for the cameras. But I'm not going to cut it short, sorry. I have to ask you a question. You've been coming night after night after night. What will you do with this truth? I'll tell you what Jesus wants you to do. Accept it. And then tell him, Jesus, I'm scared to death. Go take care of my friends because they'll put pressure on me. Christ says, okay, you know what? That's right. I'll take care of your friends. You say, Christ, I want to accept this truth. The Sabbath. Return a tithe. Take care of my body. No smoking, drinking. I want to accept this truth. It's biblical. Jesus says, you accept it? I'll take care of your friends and your family who will try to harass you. You do what I say and I cover you. Because Jesus did what his father said when everyone ran and left him. Will you run and leave Christ and his truth? No. Your presence night after night tells me that there's something in your heart that cries out for what is true. May not be popular. May not be easy. But Calvary was not easy. How can something be easy and when you prepare for it, you sweat great drops of blood? He sweated it for you right where you sit. And he bled for you and me right where we sit and stand. And Christ wants us to take a little ribbing from our friends for his truth. He wants us to face our family members who may try to harass us for his truth. He does not ask you to get on Calvary's cross. He did that. He said, take a little pressure from me. When I was on the cross, Christ said, you couldn't help me. But when you get on your cross, I will help you. Some of you have decided to be baptized. Some of you are thinking about it. I want to meet with all of you right up front. If it's too crowded, we'll go downstairs right after the service just to talk to you, let you know what preparations we're making. Those of you who are here, we'll meet again tomorrow night for those who've missed this night's service. We'll meet again on Friday night. Briefly, just to talk with you and to let you know how delighted we are that you have chosen to obey God those of you who've made decisions to be baptized, just raise your hands wherever you are. And accept the truth of God. There you are. God bless you. God bless you. I love to see you. Come. 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 I want to pray for you again. Come. You've made decisions. Everyone isn't here tonight. But those made, you come. Let me pray for you. If you're considering making it, you come as well. You just come. If you're considering it, you come. Jesus Christ can change your heart. Listen to me. Christ knows how to change hearts. God bless you. God bless you. And then we'll go right through here after I pray downstairs to that private room so I can talk with you. You've made a decision to be baptized or you are considering it. Just come right up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God bless you. I am a nice man. Say amen. amen. All right. Don't be afraid of me. We can smile in the presence of God. God bless you. We'll catch the others tomorrow night. Anyone else? Come, my good brother. You've decided or you were thinking about it. Either way, get up and come. If tonight you've been convicted for the first time, you get up and come and say, Lord, I want to obey you. 
get up and come. Let me pray. Let's all stand. Prepare to pray. Take your stand on the side of what is true, not what is popular. Even if you suffer a little now, Christ will reward you without end in the world to come that is not far hence. Sin has pleasures only for a season. Righteousness has delights for an eternity. How does the intelligent person choose? The pleasures, the delights for an eternity, obeying Jesus Christ who loved you. Anyone else? I'm deciding tonight. I want to obey God and be baptized. Oh, I'm thinking about it. You come. I want to be rebaptized. I've drifted from God and broken the covenant with Him. You want to be rebaptized? You come. Join us. Take you downstairs. Talk with you briefly. Pray with you. Who else will come before I pray? Come, my brother. God bless you. God bless you. My good brother Chris, come right up here. God bless you. God bless you. I met this man yesterday. Say amen. amen. Yes, but when you have a heart for truth, you don't have to hear a lot of it. Any amount you hear, you respond. Anyone else has a heart for truth? Don't fight it. Leave your seat and come quickly. Let me pray. Truth is what Christ is all about. Truth. Yes, it hurts, but it heals. It heals. Hurting is part of healing. You ask any doctor. It hurts, but it heals. Anyone else before I pray? I'll give you 60 seconds, beginning now. And I pray and let you go. I want to make a decision for Christ. Oh, my dear sweet sister, come. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. When they come that young, you can almost guarantee they'll never turn back. Because God has so few sins to get out of them, unlike someone like I am. Come, my dear brother. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Ah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. You understand Christ died for you, wants you to live a life like him? You come. I want to be baptized. I'm thinking seriously. I want to be rebaptized. I've broken the covenant, drifted from God, or did not know what I was doing the first time. You have 30 seconds. And I'd like some of my supporters, my preachers with me, to join me downstairs. Thank you. God bless you, sister. God bless you. Okay. All right. That's okay. Anyone else? God bless you, my dear brother. What you're doing is right. What you are doing is right. Come on, church, what do you say? It is right. Blessings on you, my good brother. Come, come. Let Jesus see his sacrifice was not wasted in your life. God bless you. Anyone else? Sing it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, I plead, I beseech, and I beg. Deepen the conviction of truth in the hearts of those who came. And continue by your spirit to wrestle with the hearts of those who still need to come. 
before the conviction wears off. Dear Father in heaven, there's a reason why Jesus says he is the truth. Because to accept the truth is to accept Christ. To say no to the truth is to say no to Christ. Praise your name for those who've come. And by faith, I thank you for those who are thinking and will come before the weekends. Lord, keep all of us faithful and save us when you come, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let all obedient people say, Amen and Amen. God bless you. I won't come to the door. My preachers come with me. We'll go downstairs with God's people. Just follow my good brother straight down this way. We won't hold you long. Just five minutes. That's all. God bless you. Let's get some cards. Thank you for coming. Come back tomorrow night and try to bring someone with you.